Good morning. My name is Greg, and I'm delighted to be with you this morning. Today, we are all going to leave here feeling like more than conquerors. And as I, uh, as I considered our text this morning, I thought about, well, have I, have I conquered anything? And I realized, well, no, I, I haven't conquered any of the things that you might first think about need to be conquered. Like, I've never summited Mount Everest, uh, like Melissa Arnott has uh, six times now. I think we have a picture of her. Uh, Melissa, who happens to be from Seattle, just a few weeks ago became the first woman to summit Mount Everest and survive the descent without any supplemental oxygen. Yeah, and especially considering that nearly 280 people have died trying to summit Everest. I think I would call her a conqueror. I think I would call LeBron James a conqueror, too. Uh, Last Sunday, LeBron, in one of the most impressive performances in sports history, I think we have a picture of LeBron as well, Um, he led the Cleveland Cavaliers to defeat the Golden State Warriors for the NBA championship, winning the first professional championship for the city of Cleveland in 52 years. And he did so by defeating and overcoming what seemed to be impossible odds. His opponent was the Golden State Warriors, who had just set the record for most wins ever in an NBA season. And they were formidable, to say the least. And then they jumped out to a three-games-to-one lead in a best-of-seven series. And no team has ever come back from a three-to-one deficit against any team, let alone the Golden State Warriors. But LeBron led his team uh, through those last three games and led them to victory. Uh, It was an amazing comeback, and in doing so, he outperformed every other player on either team. He had the best statistics in each of the major statistics, uh, and his leadership was was visible on the court. So I I would say LeBron James is a conqueror. Each of us I, can probably look back on something in our lives in which we feel we came away victorious. Maybe uh, as a student, it was uh, a really tough class or, or a tough exam, and you worked at it, and you studied hard, and you went in and you aced it. Or maybe if, as, a, as, a, as an employee, you took on some job, and you didn't know what the heck you were doing. This is usually my pattern. You, took it, you get into something, you don't know what you're doing. Um, but maybe you, through hard work and learning from your mistakes, uh, over time, you became really good at that job. That is victorious too. Or maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's cancer. And you have endured the treatment and kept a positive attitude. And now you have beaten it. Those are good feelings, and I hope, I hope you've had some of those. If you haven't, then I'll just let me ask you to try to imagine how LeBron and Melissa 
feel after their victories. And today I want you to leave here feeling that way. Actually, no, actually, I, I want you to leave here feeling more than that way. Because while, while the feelings in those victories are really good, those vic- in those victories we are at best conquerors and not more than conquerors. Uh, so today I want you to leave here feeling better than LeBron and better than Melissa and better than any past victory. I want that feeling to last for you forever. Now you say, that's a tall order. <laughs> yes. And I know most of the time it feels like we're just trying to, we're just trying to keep up and that sometimes we don't feel very victorious at all. And instead we can feel frustrated or weak or inadequate. It can feel like we're, we're losing against the struggles that we face. And God tells us no. He says no. Through Christ we're not just victorious. We are more than conquerors. So let's see how he tells us that. We're going to be almost entirely, entirely in the um, <clears throat> book of Romans, chapter 8, today. And um, we're going to be in a number of, of verses in Romans 8. I don't have them all on your white sheet, so you may want to follow along in a Bible. Um, or you can follow along on the screen as we go through them. But our main text is verses 35 through 39. Let's look together at that text. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, how can you be more than a conqueror? What, what the heck does that mean? It's tough enough just to be a conqueror, let alone in the face of these struggles that are on this list, and let alone to be more than a conqueror? Well, I, I want to address that question. What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? And then I want to address the question, how can this change my life? But before I address those, I need to cover something of vital importance, and that is that this applies to those who are in Christ. This chapter, Romans chapter 8 that we're in, it's an unswerving message to one audience, and that audience is defined right at the beginning in verse 1 as those who are in Christ Jesus. The author, um, who is Apostle Paul, I'll refer to him as Paul. Throughout this chapter is describing what is 
available to those who are in Christ, a group that he considers himself to be a part of. And he's building up throughout this chapter. He's building up to this crescendo that we are focused on in verses 35 through 39. And in, in, in these verses, um, you'll see that he's still using the words us and we. Uh, he's continuing to use those, indicating that he's still talking to the same audience of those who are in Christ. So what, is, what does that mean, those who are in Christ? Who are those people? Um, it can sound like one of those churchy phrases that we throw around and maybe not think so much about what it really means. The phrasing in Christ can seem weird, I know. Um, but it's really not that unusual when you think about it because we use the phrase in love, for example, when we're in love, it's as though something about our very being has changed. And to be in Christ means that God has called us to him to be one of his own. We've answered that call. We have accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, and we've committed our lives to him. And then God begins to change us from the inside out into the, the people that he intended us to be. In short, we've, we've entered into a very special relationship with God when we are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then the love of Christ is the most important thing in the world. Being separated from the love of Christ it should be the most terrifying thing in the world to you. So this assurance that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ is massively significant to those who are in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we are not going to experience the things that Paul refers to on this list. Paul is not naive. (laughs) He is no fool. In fact, he has experienced Six of the seven things on the list in verse 35. These seven struggles. I'll I'll refer to them as the seven struggles. He's experienced all but one of them. And he's experienced them multiple times. Uh, And in the verse here, he says, we are being killed. We are being killed all the day long. And he says, when he refers to these seven struggles, he says, in all these things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. So what he's saying is not not even the power of these terrible struggles can separate us from the love of Christ. He's not saying the terrible struggles won't happen. He says they're not powerful enough. And if you are not in Christ, if you are not in Christ, then the love of Christ simply is not your priority. This assurance doesn't mean anything to you. Because uh, you're seeking something else, not the love of Christ. And if that's where you are, then let me just say to you that I am glad that you are listening too. And I hope that, um, that in this time today, God will draw you to him. Maybe in his word that you hear today. But frankly, until then... When it comes to dealing with these seven struggles, when it comes to being a conqueror, 
and certainly more than a conqueror, frankly, you're on your own. You have to conquer the seven struggles listed here and more on your own. And to me, that sounds like a taller order than I have given myself today. So, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? I'm going to suggest that it means two things. First, it means that the victory is overwhelming. In Game 7 of the NBA Championship last Sunday, in just a couple of plays in the last two minutes, if just a, if just a fraction of an inch changed, LeBron James wouldn't have been a conqueror at all. And many times victories are that way. They're so close that they could go either way. And uh, sometimes we might even be content just, just kind of holding the enemy at bay. Uh, but we are not talking about that here. We're talking about crushing the enemy. We are talking about making the power of the enemy powerless against us. So to understand that, let's, let's go through the struggles that are listed in verse 35. We're going to go through them one struggle at a time. Tribulation. Literally, this means uh, heavy weight or pressure on you. Paul is probably using it here to mean severe affliction or sufferings. Distress. This means agony or anguish. Probably mean, it probably means here a more physical suffering, while he's probably using tribulation to mean a more mental suffering. The words are similar. They both have to do with suffering. They're both important because Paul uses them both here and elsewhere in his writings. Persecution, being hated, attacked, opposed, simply for what you believe or who you are. Famine, physical hunger. Not just simply not having food. Nakedness, physical exposure, not having clothing to cover yourself. This, in Paul's day, that, that, that result, that results in shame, for one thing. It was a much bigger deal at the time and place Paul was writing. And, of course, physical risk comes with that of exposure. Danger means what we think it means, great peril great risk or of personal harm. And, and sword here he uses to mean execution. That is the only one of these seven sufferings that Paul has not yet suffered. All the others he suffered multiple times. But he has seen others experience execution. So this is a pretty comprehensive list. You might... You might think of other struggles that may or may not fit into one of these categories, but it's clear that Paul is meaning this to represent everything. And uh, we see that from verses 38 and 39, where it's as though he's trying to make sure he catches everything. He doesn't want, he doesn't want to leave anything uh, as a possibility. He, he, he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He means everything. 
It doesn't matter what is thrown at us. Mount Everest, Golden State Warriors, whatever. And it doesn't matter who's doing the throwing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Period. Now, I know you might not think you're up to winning an overwhelming victory. I have good news. It's not from your power that the victory is won. We're talking about God's power. And you may, you may want to jot that word down in the blank space that, that you have on your sheet because I'm going to be giving you three P words having to do with overwhelming victory, power being the first. We see that in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Not through our diligent efforts, not through our exceptional abilities, not through our good luck, but through him who loved us. And I, I mentioned before how in chapter 8, Paul is, is describing all these awesome things that God does for us, and he's building to this crescendo. And it actually starts a few verses prior, um, where in verse 31, where Paul reminds us that it is God who has all power and authority. After describing all these amazing things, he that God does for us, he writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God and indeed is interceding for us. It's, it's because of God's power that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from him. He's the biggest guy in the universe and he's on our side. Now you, and So now you might be thinking, well, okay, God's power is awesome, but how does that give me an overwhelming victory when I'm facing these seven struggles. Well, for one thing, it, uh, I want to tell you, it can change your perspective. There's the second P word, perspective. Allow me to try to illustrate that. <clears throat> Richard Wormbrand was a, was a Christian in Romania. At the time, um, it was ruled by communists after World War II. The communists began to persecute Christians. And uh, Wormbrand was eventually among those imprisoned for his faith and for his activities sharing the gospel. Uh, international pressure, fortunately, um, on the communist international pressure kept him alive and ultimately allowed him to be released and he was allowed to come west where here, um, where here he became an influential person in the, in the movement to help persecuted Christians. And uh, he ended up founding the organization The Voice of the Martyrs. But uh, in spite of 14 years in prison, 14 years in prison by the communists, like Paul, during that time, enduring six of the seven struggles, the only one was he hadn't been executed yet, 
There was nothing that his tormentors could do to separate him from the love of Christ. I want to read you an excerpt from his book, Tortured for Christ. He writes, A total of 14 years in prison passed for me. During all this time, I never saw a Bible or any other book. I had, not, I had forgotten how to write. Because of the starvation, drugging, and tortures, I had forgotten the Holy Scriptures. But on the day that I fulfilled 14 years out of oblivion came into my mind the verse, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed but a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Well, 14 years seems unbearable, especially under those conditions. Wormbrand's perspective was different. Being in Christ and never being separated from the love of Christ, Richard Wormbrand was more than a conqueror. So, this is an overwhelming victory because God's power can take on anything, and God's love can change our perspective. And also because he, he, he turns the struggles into something that is preparing us for something better. There's the third P word, preparing. In other words, he turns them into something that's working for us rather than against us. We see that, because you might be saying, well, how can I say that? Well, we see that in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. It's a separate separate, uh, letter in the Bible from Paul, where he's describing his struggles. He's he's gone through this long description of struggles that he's been enduring. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So you see a couple of things in what Paul's saying there. First you see, you see perspective. He refers to a momentary affliction. Just like Wormbrand, it was like days, not years. And he's referring to that affliction as light compared to the weight of glory, compared to what is awaiting him. But, but notice another thing here in this verse that that the affliction now has become something that is preparing him for that glory it's now working for Paul he tells us this in another way in back in Romans chapter 8 verse 28 he says and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose all things work together for good for those who are called. And I just want to, let me just try to illustrate that again. Um, the, the way God gives us overwhelming victory, crushing anything that tries to separate us from the love of Christ. I'm going to ref, let Richard Wormbrand's words speak to us again. He writes, In solitary confinement, we could not pray as before. We were unimaginably hungry, We had been drugged until we acted like idiots. We were as weak as skeletons. 
The Lord's prayer was much too long for us. We could not concentrate enough to say it. My only prayer repeated again and again was, Jesus, I love you. And then one glorious day, I got the answer from Jesus. You love me? Now I will show you how I love you. At once, I felt a flame in my heart, which burned like the coronal streamers of the sun. The disciples on the way to Emmaus said that their hearts burned when Jesus spoke with them. So it was with me. I knew the love of the one who gave his life on the cross for us all. Such love cannot exclude the communists, however grave their sins. The second part of what it means to be more than a conqueror is that the gain is immense. The gain is immense. Not always, not always in victory do we gain that much, right? Uh, most of the time, just fending off the enemy and maintaining the status quo is, is acceptable. That is not the case here. In Romans 8, as I said, Paul describes one after another astounding things that God does for us. Astounding privileges that we have because we are in Christ. And uh, then, as I mentioned before, he, he reaches this crescendo starting in verse 31. And the overwhelming victory that I've been talking about is shown through these rhetorical questions he starts asking in verse 31. He says, he asks, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? In other words, the victory is overwhelming. No one can stand to God. And then in verse 35, he asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, why, why is that important? It's important because it's, the love, it's through, through the love of Christ that we are given all of these awesome privileges that Paul's been describing throughout this chapter. So we, we need to go back and we need to know what those are. Now, each one of them is a sermon but don't worry, I'm, I'm just going to highlight them for you today. We're just going to have one sermon today. But I want to give you six amazing privileges described in chapter 8 that you gain by not being separated from the love of Christ. First, no condemnation. Verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So many, so many people don't think about the fact that without Jesus Christ, they stand condemned. You know, God's, God's justice system is a lot simpler than the American system. You're either perfectly sinless or you're not. And unfortunately, none of us are perfectly sinless. And God's sentencing system is a whole lot simpler than the American system. We're either condemned to separation from God or death or we are given life with him in glory forever. As before, we were all condemned. Now, there's, there's no more separation between those who are in Christ and God. Second is life. Verse 11, 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And we, we naturally put a lot of focus on this life with our mortal bodies. But he's shown us that life for those in Christ goes far beyond our physical death. Next is adoption. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, children of God. You are not insignificant. You are a child of God, as Dan Abbotts talked about last week. And, and as such, you get all the privileges of that special relationship with God. Next, future glory. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God has something far better in store for your life. Through Christ, we've been made heirs to that. Next is help. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Once, uh, once we are in Christ, God provides ongoing help for us through the Spirit. And um, we don't have to worry about being weak anymore because the Spirit has our back. And lastly, verse 28, all things working for our good. All things working for our good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want to try to illustrate this immense gain that is part of being more than a conqueror. I want to try to illustrate that for you by sharing a little about a woman by the name of Lisa Beamer. <clears throat> Lisa is the widow of Todd Beamer, who was the passenger, a passenger on United Flight 93 on September 11th, <clears throat> 2001. Todd, uh, who's a man in Christ himself, um, was the passenger who led other passengers to try to stop the terrorists, and successfully actually stopped the terrorists from crashing that plane into Washington, D.C., as he did, the operator that was on the phone with him just prior to him taking action heard him say, heard him pray, Jesus, help me. And then to the other passengers, the operator heard him say, are you guys ready? Let's roll. Todd died, leaving Lisa with sons David and Drew, both under the, ages of four, under the age of four, and with the daughter who would be born four months later. <clears throat> and some months after Todd's death, Lisa said in an interview, September 11th has shown me the reality of eternity in a dynamic way these past few months. When I'm overwhelmed with sadness at what I've lost in this life, he is quick to give me his eternal perspective. Lisa, 
This life is just a blip on the radar screen compared to your future with me in heaven, he says. The best thing that you can imagine on earth is garbage compared to what awaits you. She also says, God's sovereignty has been made clear to me. When I am tempted to become angry and ask what if and why us, God says, I knew on September I knew on September 10th, and I could have stopped it. But I have a plan far greater, for far greater good than you can ever imagine. She says, I don't know God's plan, and honestly, right now, I don't like it very much. But I trust that he is true to his promise in Romans 8.28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. My only responsibility is to love God, she says. He'll work out the rest. Lisa could not be separated from the love of Christ by Todd's death. She is more than a conqueror. Demonstrated not just by her overwhelming victory in the sufferings that she endured, but through understanding that her immense gain far outweighed the terrible losses that she had suffered. Lisa's faith uh, has been an inspiration to, to many. She, she became one of the most sought-after speakers in the world because of that. And um, she also helped to found the Todd M. Beamer Foundation and raise millions of dollars to help children who had experienced and suffered trauma like her kids had. So that brings us to the question of how can this truth change our life? How can this truth change your life? Well, let me ask, how how would Lisa Beamer's life have been different after 9-11 if she had never known the love of Christ or if this tragedy had separated her from the love of Christ? It seems clear to me that the security she felt in in Christ produced a far better outcome. <clears throat> we crave security. We talk about it all the time. Home security, financial security, job security, relationship security. We do things all the time to try to make ourselves feel more secure. Some of us might have security alarms on our homes or our cars. Um, some might carry concealed weapons or have weapons in your home. Some might have retirement accounts and emergency funds. Is there anything that can give us greater security than what God is telling us right here through Paul in chapter 8? I don't see how. I don't, I don't see it. I'm not saying not, uh, not to do all those other things. They're all good. They're all good tools. But none of them will make you more than a conqueror. None of them will give you overwhelming victory. And, and they won't give you the immense gain that God has for us. Never forget that God assures us right here in Romans 8.37 that there is nothing in all creation 
nothing that can separate us from the most important thing in the world, God's love. And if you have an assurance like that for your house, if somebody could assure you that you will never lose this house, you will be able to live in this house forever and not have to worry about it. Or your finances. You will never have to worry about not being able to pay for whatever you want. Ever. You'd be feeling really good about those, wouldn't you? (laughs) Well, here it is. Here's the assurance for the most important thing in the world. So be completely secure in Christ. Completely secure in Christ. I said at the beginning, I wanted each of us to leave here today knowing that we are more than conquerors. And I want us to walk out of here today feeling that. You know, I don't know if LeBron James and Melissa Arnott are in Christ or not, but I I know that their, their victories, while really cool, are short-lived. They aren't overwhelming. And they didn't give them immense gain. The immense gain that God has for us. But I know that Lisa Beamer and Richard Wormbrand are more than conquerors. That's who we ought to feel like. And so to that end, I want to ask you to participate with me in something. First, I want to encourage you to write on your on your white sheet, uh, on the space I gave you to, for my response to the seven struggles, I want you to write, bring it on. And then for the, se- the six privileges, I want you to write, thank you, God. And then I want us to do a, a, a brief responsive reading kind of thing here. As I say each of those seven struggles and six privileges, I'd like you to say I like us to say our response together. <clears throat> Are you ready? Lord, we know that in all these things we are more than conquerors. Tribulation, right? Distress, bring on. persecution, famine, Nakedness, danger, sword. And Lord, we know that as more than conquerors, you have given us immense gain by no condemnation. Thank you, God. Giving us life. Adopting us as children. Providing future glory. Helping us working all things for our good. Thank you, God. Amen.